0: Okay, so lesson three is entitled Hear, O Israel, because it is taken from the famous Shema, Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, that's in chapter six. It's a very, very famous passage. It's the great commandment, but uh, you're going to find that command, Hear, O Israel, all over the place. It is found not just in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to talk about uh, right now, or very soon in this lesson, but it's found all over Deuteronomy, and it's found multiple times here in this section that we're going to be studying, chapters 5 through 11. Now, this section of scripture in the the Roman numeral 1 here, I'm going to introduce to you kind of what's going on in terms of the structure and how we're moving into this next section of law. But this, this section is so, so beautiful. It is so incredibly beautiful. It has so many passages of God's love for Israel, for God's love for his people. One of the things that gets me excited about this is that too many people have caricatures, false images of who God is in the Old Testament. They think God is this cranky old man full of vengeance and wrath, telling people that they got to die and all this horrible stuff in the Old Testament. Then everything gets better when Jesus comes along and he's hugging people and telling them, I'm okay, you're okay. It's such a false dichotomy here. There's so much scripture in the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy in particular, in which Moses depicts God and explains that God is a loving father. So many times Moses says, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. It's like it's like. Am I reading the Old Testament? Am I reading Deuteronomy? Well, yes, you are. You are reading the Old Testament and Deuteronomy, and and God is an, a passionate father who loves his children. So there are many verses for memorization for prayer. Too many people like, they don't when they when they sit down to pray. To do Lectio Divina or to study the scriptures, very few people actually pick up Deuteronomy and say, I'm going to read prayerfully over Deuteronomy uh, because they're afraid of it. They think it's all these weird laws. And we'll talk about the actual laws themselves in the actual covenant constitution in the next couple of lessons. But there are so many beautiful passages to pray over and to memorize. So anyways, I can go on and on about this. It is, I'm really excited about this lesson because it is very, very beautiful here. So Hero Israel chapters 5 through 11, we are moving into this new section. All right, so enough of my little little ramble there. What, what are we doing now in terms of the book and the structure? Well, this is Moses' second speech. Remember in the introduction, we uh, talked about how Deuteronomy is his last will and testament. He has a a bunch of farewell speeches or sermons that he gives to Israel before he dies. He's going to go up on Mount Nemo and die. Last lesson, we talked about his first speech, which was focusing on Israel's past. And we looked about how he focused on certain elements of their journey through the wilderness for a specific reason, which is to encourage them not to be afraid of the people of the fortified cities. God will deliver them into his hands. Og and Sihon, these two kings, were examples of how God will deliver these very frightful, powerful kings into their hands if they just trust. That's his first sermon or speech. This is now the beginning of his second speech, which focuses really on Israel's present. What are they supposed to do currently, presently as God's children? And that is to observe and follow the law. Okay. Now that runs from chapter five all the way to chapter 26. We're actually going to take three lessons to break this down. But in this section of chapters five and six, Moses is constantly urging the people to love God unreservedly to always cling to him, to get rid of idolatry over and over again. But this, but it's really subdivided in a couple of ways here. I think it's very helpful. So here's a quote here from your Catholic introduction to the Old Testament. What follows is one of the most passionate exhortations to exclusive love and fidelity to the Lord in all the Old Testament. That's exactly what I was saying earlier, right? This is the most quoted portion of Deuteronomy in the New Testament. For example, Jesus will cite from this section three times during the wilderness temptation. And there's the citations there, and I'm going to point them out as we go along. Uh, But what this quote is talking about is this particular section here. Well, really, the whole section in uh, 5 through 26, but certainly 5 through 11. And this portion is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. I shared with you that, the Psalms and Isaiah and Deuteronomy are the top three winners, right, for most references in the New Testament. But when Deuteronomy is quoted so often, it's from this section, right? So certainly this quote mentions Jesus' citations of Deuteronomy in the wilderness, fighting Satan and defeating Satan. But of course, you've got the greatest commandment is also uh, coming from this section. So it's very, very significant for us to spend this hour or more than, I don't know how long this is going to be, it's just so awesome, (laughs) all this time talking about how how beautiful this passage is, these, the section of material, and how it connects with what Christ is going to do uh, throughout the wilderness and, and beyond. So there's a lot to say. So how are chapters 5 through 26 further subdivided? Well, your Ignatius Catholic Study Bible says the central chapters of Deuteronomy set forth the covenantal stipulations that Israel is bound to observe. General stipulations appear in chapters 5 through 11, and specific stipulations follow in chapters 12 through 26. All right, I think this is very, very helpful. So the general stipulations, everything that we're gonna talk about in this lesson here really are based on the 10 Commandments, which is talked about in chapter five. And following chapter five is the loving obedience that we are to have in observing the 10 Commandments and then the various obstacles and challenges that might threaten our loving obedience to observing those Ten Commandments. Okay, So the Shema is going to be in there. That's really the internal disposition that we need to have for for obeying the commandments. Then there's going to be various obstacles that's going to really turn our our hearts cold and hard against God. So generally speaking, chapters 5 through 11 are these 10 commandments and how we're to observe them then you get into the specific stipulations that are all practical applications of the 10 commandments and this is what's going to be very very helpful for a lot of students of deuteronomy because when you just read it you know from beginning to end it's really confusing like i don't understand is there a a rhyme or a reason to all these different laws that are going on or is it just a bunch of random things that moses just wrote down or somebody just wrote down here well no there is a method to the madness all the laws in chapters 12 through 26 follow the order of the Ten Commandments, right? So there are applications then and there for the nation of Israel as a state, like as a nation, one nation under God. That's going to be really important. And so one, one thing to clarify here is that the Ten Commandments are found in the general stipulations followed by exhortations to love God, right? With one's whole heart and soul and strength. Then you get into the specific applications of those Ten Commandments for Israel, You do not find the Ten Commandments in the Covenant Constitution itself, and that's important because, as I'm going to explain in just a minute, the Ten Commandments are eternal, immutable, they apply for everyone, everywhere, but the actual laws for Israel pertain to them as a nation, so when the nation ceases to exist, many of those laws are going to pass away as well, okay? So we talked about this before in previous lesson. I think it was lesson one, if I remember correctly here, why certain laws pass away and other laws do not. The Ten Commandments are much more... Um, universal they are universal than these other specific stipulations and I think it's really really important to keep in mind right so uh, 10 commandments we're going to talk about now and the obedience towards those commandments that everyone must have and then in the next two lessons we're going to look at the specific stipulations those practical applications for Israel then and there as they are being formed as a as a nation right as a secular state Okay, and It's not entirely secular because you know there is no church separation of church and state for Israel. It's all together, but nevertheless, you understand what I'm saying. How, do, how are these laws going to govern them as a nation? All right, so let's get into chapter 5 then without any further ado and look at the Decalogue. So the Decalogue, it's also known as the Ten Commandments because in, it's literally, if you go back, a lot of the stuff we talked about, by the way, in Lesson 7 of our Exodus Bible study, so you can go back and consult that. Uh, we discussed a lot. I can't get into a lot of those things and repeat myself now because we have so much stuff to discuss. In chapters uh, 5 through 11. But nevertheless, the Decalogue is because it's called the Deca means 10. Logoi is words, the 10 words. If you go back to Exodus, that's how they're introduced. These are the words of God. So we often common, uh, commonly call them the 10 commandments, but the scriptural reference is the 10 words, which is actually kind of cool because remember, Jesus is the word of God. John chapter 1 makes very, very clear he is the word of God. You know, when God uh, speaks, uh, he speaks Christ, right? So anyways, Moses is going to command Israel to obey these words, these commandments, by beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, hear, O Israel. So that's the repetition of that word Shema, I'm famously in chapter 6, but as I told you, it's all over the place in this section and in this book. Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I speak to you, learn them, be careful to do them, In verse 2 to 6 really clarifies, really what is going on here in terms of the context so i just have a number of things in your notes about these characteristics but um let's go to verse two the lord our god make a covenant made a covenant with us at horeb but that's mount sinai not with our fathers did the lord make this covenant but with us who are all of us here today so not with abraham isaac and jacob but with us those that had left Israel, uh, egypt the lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire when i st- while i stood between the lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up in the mountain. And then he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Okay. So hero Israel, what God has done for you. And the first characteristic of the Decalogue that's really important to keep in mind is that these 10 commandments are contextualized in the larger story of the Sinai covenant and the Exodus liberation. And the Catechism goes into a lot of detail about this. I have a reference for you if you want to check out the Catechism, paragraphs 2052 and onward. Um, but one of the main points that it makes, and this is true here, found like in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, you've got to understand the commandments in the context of covenant, of relationship, and of God delivering Israel out of bondage. The Ten Commandments are not given by God because he's a big party pooper and he doesn't want us to have fun, right? A lot of people scoff at these sorts of moral laws because they want to do whatever they want to do because they're godless. But you have to understand that it's not God is not trying to keep his thumb on us. He's not trying to keep us down. He wants us to be truly free. He wants us to be free from Satan, sin and death. And all the typology we talked about in terms of the Exodus applies here. So, Exodus is typological for our deliverance from Satan, sin and death. Anybody who knows anybody who has any modicum of self-reflection knows that sin is slavery. It could be on a massive scale with addictions, right? Where you truly are enslaved to that addiction of whatever it might be. Or it could be, you know, on a minor venial level where you've got a really bad temper and you're always flaring out or whatever it might be, or you're very greedy, very selfish or whatever, right? You can fill in the blank. It's, it's, it's slavery, right? You feel enslaved to that sin. And you want to get away from it, but you can't. The Ten Commandments here and all of God's eternal law really helps us to be freed from that bondage. Just as they're freed from Israel, ultimately God wants to free us all from Satan, sin, and death in order to be in covenant with him. That covenant was established at Sinai. And then, of course, the New and Everlasting Covenant was with Christ and his Paschal Mysteries. So that really needs to be the lens by which we view these commandments and these, these ten words, the Decalogoi. God wants us to be free. He wants us to be truly human, to be truly alive, and we can't be that way if we are enslaved to sin. So in that lens, I, I personally believe, I think this is true, and catechism teaches us, in that lens of the commandments being the means by which we live a free uh free we live freely and we live freely in relationship with god that makes it much more understanding than just randomly thou shalt not thou shalt not thou shalt not and you just kind of feel like it's a big downer right it's not so that's the first major characteristic i think that's important to begin with the larger story of liberation to be free for for like remember free from sin to be free for god we talked about all of that in exodus